Uh, I told you last week that June 5th was Pentecost Sunday. Uh, that is the Sunday every, every uh, church that recognizes the, the uh, lectionary spends time thinking about Pentecost and what it means to us today. Last Sunday, I'm a week behind on all this, uh, last Sunday was Trinity Sunday. Sort of makes sense to me that Trinity Sunday and Pentecost Sunday are together because of uh, how much the Holy Spirit comes up in, in Pentecost and all that was happening there. What's interesting is that the word Trinity never occurs in the, in the Bible. Never occurs. Made up. Somebody decided that there needed to be a word to describe this thing that we call Trinity. And, and so it stuck. Uh, even though the, the word doesn't appear in the New Testament, or in the Bible, really, uh, I think it's interesting the way you see God's footsteps, foot tracks through Scripture, which I'm going to talk about for a little while, that leaves you, leaves you with sort of the conviction that that word really describes what we're seeing here. So in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God, Elohim, a plural word, a plural word, God created the heavens and the earth. And so you look at that, if you know that that's a plural word in, in its original, you start wondering, well, what was going on there? What, what is being described for us in this word? When Jesus was commissioning the apostles prior to his ascending to the Father, this is right after the crucifixion, he's with the disciples, and he tells them to go baptize people and he says, do it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus' words. And so what? So you start out in Genesis and you've got this, this plural word, God. Now you've got Jesus saying, when you baptize people, this is, is kind of what I want you to say. This is, this is the significance of it. Paul told Titus, that God appeared, God our Savior appeared and saved us through the water of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit poured on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So you have it again in Titus. And then in, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, or this is 2 Corinthians actually. Paul blesses the Corinthian church and he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the, guess who? Holy Spirit. Be with you all. So you, you find this throughout the Bible. God is plural. What does that mean? And then you get into the New Testament. 
You see Jesus using this descriptor to talk about the reality he understood. So the word Trinity is never used in the Bible, but we find over and over again this mysterious collaboration between the way I like to think of it is between the three expressions of the being we know as God. No one has ever been able to understand the idea of the Trinity. How can there be three gods in one? I mean, we just, our minds can't wrap around that. But what if God as one chose three different ways to communicate with us throughout history? What if that was it? That's really kind of sort of what I believe. That what we call the Trinity is really three expressions of God. Uh, our text is Romans 5, 1 through 5, which Bev read to you. The beginning of this text, as is often the case, begins in 4.13. So if you really want to get the whole picture, you begin in 4.13. Where Paul says that the promise God made to Abraham did not come to Abraham because of his adherence to the law, but rather through the righteousness of faith. It's an important idea in this whole text is that the relationship that Abraham had with God was not something that Abraham created. It was not something that Abraham did. It was something given to him by God on the basis of Abraham's faith in him, Abraham's trusting him. Not just belief, but trust, laying your life out there and saying, okay, I'm willing to take a risk with you. That's what Abraham did. Paul re repeats himself in 4.15 when he says that the promise rests on grace rather than on adherence to the law. Because of that, God told Abraham that he would be the father of many nations founded on his faith. And so very early on, we start to get a glimpse of who this God is and how this God relates to us, communicates with us. All of us, God will treat all of us the same who believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. That's the marvelous thing about this, this faith that we have. Uh, first five verses of Romans are like a, a rope with three strands in it. The first strand is God. And we begin thinking about God. Paul's already laid some of that foundation, but we, already, we start thinking about God as God makes this promise to Abraham that in him all the families of the earth would be blessed. Now, I know people read the Old Testament and they say things about God like angry and vengeful and 
hard to get along with and, and downright mean-spirited and, and all that sort of thing. They say that about God. And I go, wait a minute. That is not the picture. If you read between the lines, that is not the picture that we get of God. Those who would like to characterize God as angry need to read all of God's initiative in redeeming God's creation. This was God's plan. God is the one who has set about to do this. It's God who's at work in our lives. His initiative, not ours. It's become one of my favorite books, I think, Jonah. Whoever wrote Jonah was, I think, playing around in their mind with, who is this God? And the way that they express that to us today is in a conversation that Jonah and God have. I forgot to take my staple out. That, that Jonah and uh, God have at the end of, of the, the little prophecy, the little short prophecy of Jonah. Here it is. God changed his mind about the calamity that he said he would bring upon Nineveh. And he did not do it. That's 4.1. But this was very displeasing to Jonah. Jonah wants to give... Jonah's saying, give, it, give them hell, God. They don't deserve to be treated the way you want to be treated, treating them. So Jonah prays to the Lord and says, listen to this. O oh Lord... Is not this what I said would happen? (laughs) Don't you just want to laugh at that? I knew what you would do. Because you're, you're you're a soft touch. You're a wimp, God. I would go down there and I would stomp them into oblivion. He goes on and he says... That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. That's why I ran from you. Because I know what you were asking me to do when you asked me to go to Nineveh. I knew. (laughs) I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. It's not in your character. It's not in your nature to to want to, to punish and bring harm to us. That is not in your nature. There are other passages like that that say virtually the same thing. Uh, in Joel chapter 2, verse 13, Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for He is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relents from punishing. There's also uh, Exodus uh, and Numbers. Paul in Romans 5 1 through 5 says this, 
God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that, that uh, has been given to us. In other words, God gifts us with these extravagant gifts, these amazing gifts. It's hardly the picture of this stern and vindictive God that gets pictured very often. John said, whoever does not uh, know God, whoever does not love, does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed to us in this way. God sent His only Son. That's That's God's paramount example of how He loves us. He sent Jesus. One other thing uh, before I, I go to my next point. And uh, that is, there are some people who are called dispensationalists that try to divide history up into dispensations. And uh, I don't buy it. And I, I think, to me, the best way to look at history is in the way we're looking at it this morning. So my first encounter with God is beginning at creation and going to Christ. And you see this presence of God throughout that. God talking with his prophets, God leading his kings, God uh, protecting his nation, all of that. And so the next period starts when, when Christ comes. And I can almost, this is Logue's theology, but I can almost hear God talking to himself saying, you know, the talking to him in the father position is not getting us where we need to go. I'm going to go up and take up residence among them. And he does that in Jesus. Uh, I think God was hanging on the cross, frankly. So, Paul talks about the instrumentality of Jesus in verse 1, and he he catalogs the benefits that we have from Jesus. Through the work of Christ, we have peace with God. Uh, Peace describes... Uh, relationship here. Uh, peace is, is the absence of, of conflict, the absence of, of broken relationship. He says that Christ is the gateway to grace. He's the gateway to grace. That's the way that God ushered us into His grace. He says that, God, that Christ... <clears throat> is the incarnation of God's love. So God, God takes his love and he, he gives it form. He gives it shape in Jesus. Um, you know, sometimes we, we say, God, you just don't understand. You don't understand what I'm going through. And God could say to us, well, yeah, I do. I've been there. 
Through the weakness and suffering of Jesus, we learn another way of looking at life. And in Paul's words, we boast in our sufferings. This is because we know that suffering produces certain virtues. Uh, Paul calls them endurance, character, hope. And he says, and hope doesn't disappoint us. Finally, in Acts, we, we see God exerting his influence among us in, in a different way. And this is through the Spirit. <clears throat> and how many of us have, have felt the evidence of the Spirit in our lives when, when, when He pricks our conscience and we struggle with something that we did and we know we shouldn't have done it? That's a Spirit. Or maybe some sort of urging, or maybe a reminder of who you are and how you ought to be responding to this situation in front of you. <clears throat> Spirit's work. <clears throat> Paul concludes saying, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Still experiencing the love of God through what God has given us. Paul says in Romans 8 that the Spirit orients our thinking so we don't dwell on the flesh. The Spirit is the, the imprimatur, the stamp that says you are children of God. You're called by His name. You bear His identity. The Spirit causes us to groan. That's a Spirit work. Oh, Lord, deliver us from this, from war. I was listening to NPR this morning, and it was talking about, I think, Somalia. I was telling Judy about it. <clears throat> Somalia is going through this horrible drought. Their, their wealth in the past has been measured in their livestock. And now all their livestock's dead. You can see carcasses of cows and other goats out in the desert because there's no water. Children are dying. You want to groan. And that's a spirit. It's a spirit saying, this is not the way it's supposed to be. <clears throat> People are not supposed to treat each other this way. Wars are not in the mindset of God. God did not intend this. He created a garden, not a battlefield. Spirit intercedes for us <clears throat> in our prayers and, and puts God's language into our, our hearts to give us words that we can't express. The Spirit testifies about Jesus. Spirit testifies about Jesus. I don't think we'll ever be able to grasp the, the breadth and depth and, and height of the Spirit of God. How do you talk about that? Uh, we, we only see the, the little footprints through our lives. 
and I, I think in the way that God has chosen to do this through Father, Son, and Spirit, that's the way He wants to think about God's presence with us. What a great way. God is... Father, God is mover. God is the one who has created and oriented this creation. God as son, obedient, suffering, putting the little guy first, and spirit. Spirit who, who gives us the strength and the direction to live today. So I think it's, it's very appropriate to have a Trinity Sunday. I think it's very helpful and appropriate to step back and say, how has God been manifest in my life and in the life of this world that he's created for us? What do I learn about God from looking at these manifestations as Father, Son, and Spirit? What do I learn about God's character and what God wants from me? Let's pray. Multifaceted God beyond understanding. Except when we experience you and the revelations you have given us over time at a burning bush, across a wilderness and cloud and fire with Ezekiel in a cave and at Pentecost in demonstration and understanding. As we think about Trinity Sunday, we are in awe of how great you are, how unknowable in many ways, yet how loving and present in others. We give thanks and praise to you and ask that our journey to your presence will grow deeper and stronger. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.